0: for the reading of God's Word this evening, Exodus 2, and we'll read the first six verses. The Bible says there, it says, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not not longer hide him, she took uh, for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and wild pit and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink and his sister stood afar off uh, to wit that uh, what would be done to him and the daughter of pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along by the riverside and when he saw the ark among the flags she sent her maid to fetch it And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Tonight we'll look at this topic uh, out of Exodus, getting out of Egypt. Let's pray. I pray, Lord, tonight you'd help us to have a mind that's understanding and discerning. And, Lord, that we would, uh, as we gather information about your word, Lord, that it would be information that invokes change. Uh, Lord, uh, I pray tonight that you'd help us to... Uh, just put our heart and our mind into the the study. Lord, I know we come in here with a lot of uh, things on our minds. Uh, Lord, we're weary from a day of work being the end of the day, but I pray you'd help us stay sharp and focused. And Lord, let your word uh, do what it does in our hearts. We ask that you be here with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We have a whole lot of uh, information to cover uh, this evening, so... We're pretty much going to jump straight into the outline uh, right off the bat there. If you've got a prayer bulletin, it'll be there on the back of your, uh, uh, the outline will be on the back of there. Let me say before we jump right into point one that Exodus is the second book of the Pentateuch. Uh, the Pentateuch are the first five books of the Bible. All of them were uh, authored by God and delivered to us by the hand of Moses. And I chose those words carefully. God authored the entire Bible. Uh, Mankind, God used their hand to write it down. Uh, But uh, authored by God, written by the hand of Moses, and that would be the book of Exodus here. Uh, Exodus can be divided into two sections. The first section describes the deliverance of God's people out of bondage. The second section of the book is the structuring and instructing of this newly liberated nation. And tonight, we're going to look at four highlights out of that first section of the book where they're delivered. Hence the title, Getting Out of Egypt. Note number one, the prophet. The prophet. Obviously, that prophet is Moses. And what an important person Moses plays, not only in uh, biblical history, but in world history. Uh, One of the most important characters that you'll find in the entire Bible. Letter A, notice, Jochebed's courage. Look down with me at Exodus chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. You think, okay, well, big deal. Well, here's the thing. Uh, Pharaoh had seen that the Israelites were growing in size. Pharaoh had told his people, if we get into war and the Israelites decide to join the other side, it will be, we will totally be demolished. So there's, we've got to do something about it. And so he commanded that all the Hebrew baby boys, the boys, be killed. Now, if you destroy the men for long enough, eventually you will deplete and run out a people group, uh, as it takes both men and women to continued to populate, and so they were told to take the babies and to throw them in the rivers. Now, the Hebrew midwives would not participate. Uh, they defied Pharaoh's orders, but Pharaoh nevertheless sent in uh, his troops, his men, and had the baby boys, the Hebrew baby boys, killed. Jochebed, the mother of Moses, was able to uh, hide uh, this baby and was able to keep it uh, from know, knowing that it was born. And after three months of keeping this whimper down, the baby started to cry louder and louder and louder. And so they had to do something about it. So she uh, pitched, she, she made a, a, a little, um, uh, in Spanish, I've, I've got the Spanish word in my mind, I can't think of the English word, uh, bassinet. There's the word. In, in Spanish, it's the word moises. Uh, but, uh, that's why I'm thinking of Moses there. But took a bassinet, pitched it in, uh, uh, with, uh, with a different tar and put him out in the water and just let him float. Let him float. And God knew what was going to happen next. Uh, I said earlier, I said Jochebed was the mother. Jochebed would have been the, yeah, would have been the mother. Miriam would have been the sister. Miriam is following along that, uh, that little uh, bassinet, and it's floating down. God is guiding it. It's floating right on down, and Pharaoh's daughter sees that, and she picks it up. And By the way, did you know that, that uh, Pharaoh's daughter is the greatest female financier in the Bible? She went down to the bank, and she drew out a little profit. You like that? The greatest financier in the Bible, the greatest male financier, is Noah, because he kept his stock afloat while everyone else was under liquidation. So, you go to church long enough, you hear some corny Bible jokes, amen? Um, How many of you never heard those before? There you go, you you can go impress everybody now, with a good Bible joke. But um, uh, she she goes down and she finds that little bassinet, and there's a screaming, crying, starving baby on the inside. And uh, she picked that up, and I imagine that she probably had the same reaction my wife would have had. Oh, it's a baby! Daddy, can I keep it? Please, 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 can I keep it? And all the other Hebrew boys were being killed, but Moses got to live. And the neat thing about God rewarding Jochebed's courage is that little uh, little Miriam says, I know someone that can watch the baby for you and can nurse the baby. And so Jochebed was paid to nurse and nurture her own son. I want to get this in here, right here. because This is so important. To all you moms in here with small children, let me really, really encourage you on this. A child from birth to four years old, that is the critical age. Oh, it is so critical. Um, Moses was raised by Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh's secular teaching from four or five until he was 40. And at 40, he the Bible says he chose his people. Why did he do that? Because from birth to four, his mother had his ear. That time frame is so important. I'm not here to tell you moms um, uh, how to handle that time frame and whether or not you should work. I, I will leave that between you and your spouse and the Lord. There are single mothers that don't even have that option. But I will say this. In our household, I told Angela, I said... Uh, we we came to agreement that she was not going to work until our our youngest was in school and then she would need to be there to send him off to school and she would need to be there to receive them home from school because we wanted mom, mom to be the one that instilled our principles and our beliefs into our children at that critical age. And so if you have a mom here and you have small children and you have that luxury, I would say jump all over it. Putting the right values and morals and beliefs into your child at birth at that critical age is more important than any amount of money you could make any size house you could live in, any branding of clothes you could live in. Jochebed had courage, and her courage was the reason why Moses was able to be who Moses ended up becoming. Notice let letter B, Moses' cockiness. Looking down at verses 11 and 12 of Exodus chapter 2. The Bible says, "...and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens." And he spied an Egyptian, smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that uh, there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Here we have Moses. He chooses his people over the Egyptians, but he's, he's being covert about it. One day he's out walking around, and this is Prince Moses. And he sees a taskmaster who's just beating and belittling one of the Israelis. And so he comes up, and he probably dismisses the Israelites away, and he is verbally undressing this guy, verbally letting him have it, and then his temper gets the best of him, and he smites him, and he kills him, and he buries him in the sand. And he thinks, nobody saw it. Nobody saw it. But the problem was, somebody did see it. He just didn't know it. I mean, beyond God, a human being saw it. And Because Moses, just a little while later, here's a uh, sees a couple of Israelis fighting amongst each other. And he says, hey, the guys, knock it off. And they say, well, what are we going to do? What are you going to do if we don't? Are you going to kill us the way you did that Egyptian? And he knew word was going to get back to dad what he had done. He knew dad would have his head. And so he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran. And he ran until he found a, place, a man named Jethro. And Jethro gave him uh, a job being a shepherd. Being a shepherd. Moses would live on the backside of the desert, marry Jethro's daughter. And Moses, there in that backside of the desert, God would have to retrain Moses. Letter C, we see God's correction. I went to the Sight and Sound theater and I saw Joseph. I was talking to someone else while I was there, and they had gone and seen Moses. I haven't gone and seen Moses. I think Joseph's the only one I've seen. Uh, but during the play of Moses at the Sight and Sound, uh, uh, God make or Jethro makes a comment to Moses, boy. You've got a lot to learn. He says, you had 40 years to learn how to be a king. Now God is going to have to undo everything you learned wrong. You see, for Moses to be properly equipped to lead God's people, he could not lead them like he was a king. He had to lead them like a he would lead sheep, like he would lead as a shepherd. God took 40 years of him following sheep around a desert so he can learn how to properly lead God's people. Let me say today that our churches across this country are filled with men that are trying to be kings. God has not called pastors to be kings. He's called them to be shepherds. And shepherds don't berate the sheep. Shepherds don't beat the sheep. Shepherds don't drive the sheep. Shepherds get down in the ditch and love the sheep. That's what we need in our churches. I'm going to tell you right now, I strive to be that kind of a shepherd. I have a long ways to go, but I strive to be that kind of a shepherd. After 40 years of God humiliating Moses on the backside of the desert, leaving the the, the palace and now going to the pasture, leaving, the, uh, leaving uh, all of the education and going instead and just doing that of a lowly, uneducated man, we find Moses who's now been humbled and brought low. Look at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Now, Uh, If you ever look at pictures of where the the, the territory where Moses would have been working at, uh, it was a very dry area, and so it was nothing to see a bush burning. Uh, I'm sure you would seen that dozens of times in the 40 years he'd been a shepherd. But to see a bush burn and not be consumed, that just doesn't happen. And so Moses walks up to see this phenomenon that's going on, and a voice comes out, remove your shoes, you're on holy ground. He takes off his shoes and God begins to talk to him. God had broken down Moses to the place where now Moses was more humble than maybe he needed to be. In fact, kind of ironically, Moses became proud in his humility. You say, well, how did that happen? Well, God told him in this burning bush, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to lead my people. And Moses said, I can't. God said, "You can." And, God, and, Moses, and, and Moses and God said, rather, Moses said, "I can't." And God said, "You can." And Moses said, "No, I can't. I, 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 I can, can't. I this, this, this stutter when I, I, I talk." And God said, listen, if I say you can do it, you can do it. And Moses was just defying about it. And God said, uh, stick your hand in your, in your vest there. He did. And he came out leprous. Put it back in and it wasn't. Throw your rod on the ground. He throws it down and it becomes a snake. He picked it up by the tail, which you never do, but he picked it up by the tail and it became a rod again. And God said, listen, if I can turn your hand leprous and unleprous and I can take a, a rod and turn it into a snake and bring it back to a rod, I can take care of you. And he looked over the hill and lo and behold, here comes Aaron, his brother. God sent Aaron to be Moses' mouthpiece. Funny enough, you never see Aaron really say much after that. Uh, uh, God had supplied uh, Moses with the mouthpiece, but Moses pretty much just ignored the mouthpiece and and uh, did all the talking on his own. But God handpicked, selected, and chose Moses. Moses protected him at birth and saw uh, his uh, education that he was given, his temper problem that he had. The temper problem, for the most part, was at least suppressed uh, during his time on the backside of the desert. He was humbled, he was prepared, and then he went out and did something great. And we've got a whole lot more information to get to uh, tonight, but I just quickly want to say this, is that God loves you and has a plan for your life just as much as he did for Moses. And God allows events to come in your life that seem tough at times, that you don't like and you don't enjoy, but it is all part of the recipe to make you something great. I don't think Jochebed enjoyed putting her son in the water and letting him float wherever. I'm sure that scared her mother's heart. I don't think that um, uh, Moses felt like too much good was going on in his life when he... Killed the Egyptian and had to run to the backside of the desert and live with a a, a lowly shepherd. But all of it was part of God's plan. And God wants to do something great with you. You say, but pastor, I've made mistakes. I've messed up. Uh, I've blown it here. I've blown it there. How can God use me? I'm I'm going to tell you today that while God is not happy that you blew it, God has a way of taking our our mistakes and turning them into something beautiful. You've got to give it to Him and you've got to trust Him. So, Looking at uh, four highlights of, of the first section of, uh, of the book tonight, we see, number one, the prophet. Number two, we see the plagues. Go with me to Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me, In the wilderness. So Moses walks into the throne room of Pharaoh, probably the first time he was a little bit timid, probably the first time a little bit, uh, uh, shy, not real emboldened, and says to this Pharaoh sitting up on his throne, God says, let my people go. And I imagine Pharaoh and his arrogant, cocky self just laughed and said, ha! Why should I do that? Are you crazy? And so the story there, the account there is that uh, Moses throws his rod on the ground, and Aaron throws his on the ground, and and uh, the, uh, the the magicians throw theirs on the ground, and Moses' uh, rod eats up all of theirs because our God is bigger and stronger than anything that Satan can do. Then the plagues begin. God would begin doing some uh, some things to cripple Egypt and bring it to its knees, would totally ransack the land. While we look through these, I want you to have one thought in mind. If you are obstinate and stubborn against God, He will bring wave after wave after wave of punishment in your life to get you to do what He wants you to do. Let's look at these. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 19, we see that uh, the water was turned into blood. The Bible says there, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, take thy rod and stretch out thine hand into the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and uh, that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood, and in vessels of stone. Now, if you watch these documentaries that come out, they'll try to explain away the water turning to a red tint, and it was really just a, 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 a the water wasn't balanced all right. There, there was some uh, calcium, or they'll come up with some reason. And I'm here to tell you that the water did not turn the color red; only it turned to blood, because the Bible says it turned to physical, literal blood, and it wasn't just one river. For a little bit of time, it was all the water in the land, including the water that was in their pots and their houses. There was no more water in their land. That was the first plague. The second one would have been frogs. Turn over to Exodus chapter 8 and verse 5. The Bible says there, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Saying to Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and... Cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. Now, of all of the plagues that broke out, I've got to say that this would have been my wife's least favorite. Right? She's shaking her head. Uh, frogs everywhere. Wake up in the morning, they're on your head, they're on your feet, they're on top of your dresser, they're on top of your, do- uh, your, your bedpost. They're everywhere. You get out of bed and you step on the ground and, and it was an actual croak. Not just your husband getting out of bed, Amen. Uh, it was an actual croak. Some of you get that later. Um, uh, and, and so all that was going on and, 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 uh, and, and, and Pharaoh came to Moses and said, get rid of the frogs. Look down at verses 9 and 10. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy house, uh, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, tomorrow. Tomorrow, when he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know uh, that there is none like unto the Lord our God. Maybe one of the most bizarre passages in the Bible. Moses says, Okay, when do you want me to get rid of the frogs? And Pharaoh doesn't say, Right now, <laughs> I'm sick of these things. He says, Tomorrow. Tomorrow. You say, Pastor, why did you say that? And I would say this, I have no idea. But I do, run into, I do run into Christians all the time. that I say, if you do this and this and this, your, your sin consequences will stop. When do you want to stop sinning? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. And I'm going to tell you, that's just as crazy as Pharaoh saying tomorrow. But God sent the frogs. And every time, Moses would go back into Pharaoh and say, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh would agree to it. Until the plague was gone, and then once the plague was gone, he would he would uh, let he would go back on his word. Look at verse sixteen of Exodus chapter eight. We see the third uh, uh, the third plague was lice, and the Lord said to Moses, saying to Aaron, stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. How many of you here have ever had lice or had a child with lice? Anybody here? Okay, a couple of you. Don't be ashamed. Listen, sometimes your kids go to school and they get it. It's not because of your lack of cleanliness. It's because of someone else's. I had lice when I was a little boy, and um, I don't now. You can get near me, I promise. Some of you are scratching your heads because I'm mentioning lice. Um, um, I know I, I'm scratching mine because my head's itching over here. But my mom says she could see them crawling in and out of my hair, and I think she shaved my head uh, to get it all off, and so that's why I'm bald today. Amen? Uh, so that and now you now you know the whole story there. But lice were was everywhere. It was everywhere. It was in everybody's hair. It was in, it was in everything, and it was just miserable. The fourth plague we see is flies. Look at verse 24 of Exodus 8. The Bible says in Exodus 8:24, and the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, and into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by a reason of the swarm of flies. Uh, another thing my wife can't stand in the summer is flies just coming in the house and landing on your food and and just uh, uh, contaminating everything. And flies were everywhere. They were everywhere. The next plague was death of cattle. Look down at Exodus chapter 9 and verse 6. The Bible says, And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. But the cattle of the children of Israel died not. Now the children of Israel are living in uh, Goshen, another uh, city nearby, but a separate city. And all their cattle lived, but all the cattle of the Egyptians died. So now God is attacking them in every way. And now God is not just making their life a little bit miserable by frogs being everywhere and lice in their hair and flies uh, zooming around them. Now, now he's attacking their pocketbooks because their cattle are dying. Next, God goes after their personal comfort. The next plate would have been boils. Look down at Exodus chapter 9, verses 8, 9, and 10. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh, and it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon men and upon beasts throughout all the lands of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace, and stood before Pharaoh and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven and became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. How many, uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you here have ever had shingles or some serious form of boils? Uh, uh just you, you think of Job sitting there with a the pottery scraping out the pus and it being head to toe all over his body the people were miserable listen uh you know how sometimes there's a political leader and he's making decisions and you have all these people that are protesting we don't have we we never have that go on in America i'm i'm thankful for that but uh you have all this protest going on right and they're holding up their signs i imagine maybe outside of Pharaoh's palace there were people holding up these protest signs saying hey let them go already we're sick of the bull- We're sick of the flies. We're sick of the frogs. We're sick of the lice. Let them go. It's just not worth it anymore. But Pharaoh was a stubborn man, and it wasn't going to happen. The next, uh, the next plague that uh, God unleashed on Egypt because of their uh, because of the obstinate heart of Pharaoh was hail. Hail. H a i l. Look at Exodus chapter nine. Verse twenty-two. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast and upon every herb of the field, throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran uh, uh, ran along upon the ground. And the Lord rained hail upon all the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt, since it became a age. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, and uh, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and brake every tree of the field. Uh, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. So if all this hail falling out of the sky it's killing everything it hits or creating de- great, devastation, de- great devastation. And so the land is beginning to look more and more and more like it's been in a, a war zone. As God is just ransacking and destroying the land of Egypt because of the obstinate, stubborn, cold-hearted heart Of uh, of Pharaoh. The next one that was sent was locusts. Exodus 10.12. Exodus ten twelve. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt, for the locusts that they may come up upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, and even all that the hail hath left. So now there, uh, uh, the, between the hail and the locusts, all of their agriculture was gone. And if you study Egyptian history, you see that was a big deal uh, to the Egyptians. They had their irrigation systems, and the waters that would come in through uh, the rainy seasons, and it would cause the the uh, the herb of the, of the land. Now Egypt was a great uh, country because of the money they could make, and God was taking away their finances because of their obstinance. The next one was darkness. Exodus chapter 10, 21 through 24, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over, all, over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in, in their dwellings. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones uh, also go with you. So uh, g- g- God is beginning to break down the heart of Pharaoh uh, uh, through his obstinate heart there uh, because of the darkness for three days. I love how God does things in sets of threes. It's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout creation around us. It's, it's amazing. And it all is picture points to the three days of darkness where Jesus was dead. And obviously he came back to life. The last one and the biggest one. And the one that broke Pharaoh was the death of the firstborn. Look at Exodus chapter 12 and verse 29. And it came to pass that at midnight... The Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne into the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. Someone might say, how could God allow death and carnage like that? And I would say this, God told them exactly what to do to keep their children safe. And I have to tell you, my mind is blown on this one. If I've watched Moses take a hand of ash and throw it in the air and it become boils, if I've watched nine plagues that Moses predicted to happen or or raised a rod toward happening happen, and Moses says, get a lamb and kill it, and get some hyssop and wipe the blood on the doorpost, listen, I may not believe in the God of Moses, but I'm doing it to keep my son safe. For every family that didn't do it, it was on them was on them likewise God has told us repent put your faith and trust in Christ on that cross that represents that doorpost and be saved for all those that refuse to do it it's on them let me draw one more point out here about the plagues before we move on and this is very important I really would feel like I'm not doing the 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 Bible study justice if I don't do this take your Bible back over to Exodus chapter 8 and verse 15 now if you go back a couple more chapters For the sake of time, we we could really turn this into a whole sermon. But uh, God told Moses, when he called him back at the bush, he said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And someone would say, and Calvinists will jump all over that. See, God chooses to harden some hearts and doesn't. But please understand something is that God knew what Pharaoh would do on his own. And Pharaoh hardened his own heart before God would harden it. Look at chapter 8 and verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw... If there was respite, he hardened, he, Pharaoh, hardened his, his own heart. And hearken not unto them, as the Lord had said. Look down at verse 32. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. At this time also, neither would he let the people go. Look at chapter 9 and verse 34. Chapter 9 and verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart. He and his servants. Now, turn over to Exodus chapter 10 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Now, wait a minute. Didn't the Bible say that Pharaoh had hardened his own heart? You see, God had allowed Pharaoh to harden his own heart. God was involved in the process. Look down at verse 20 of of Exodus chapter uh, 10. And we see now that the, the whole tune changes. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, so that he would not let the children of Israel go. Look down at verse 27 of, of Exodus 10. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. So it started out with Moses hardening his own heart, and then God stepped in and expedited the process that much quicker. Tonight I'm here to tell you is that God does not intentionally send anybody to hell. Let me just throw this in there as well. Pharaoh crossed a line with God that he could not go back. He passed a point of no return. And I'm going to speak uh, in broad terms here because uh, I don't believe it's my place to dictate where that line is. But I do believe there is a line that people can cross where they are given the gospel and given the gospel and given the gospel ...and given the gospel. And they understand it clearly. And they reject, 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 reject. And God says, I'm done. I'm not convicting your heart any longer. You have heard and heard and heard. Now, we don't know where that line is. And we should not try and guess where that line is. But if you're here today... ...and you have heard and heard and heard and heard... ...and heard, and you have rejected and rejected and rejected... ...and whatever the reason is. And listen, I'm speaking to church folk tonight... I'm speaking to folks that are here all the time. But there are deacons that have gotten saved. There are pastors' wives that have gotten saved. I've even heard of pastors that have gotten saved. And so if if that can be the case, you may be here and you're a church member. And you have heard and heard and heard. And you are scared to death about being embarrassed uh, about uh, people finding out that you just got saved after years of church membership. Listen, I wouldn't go to hell for anybody. There's not a person in here I would be worried about, your opinion of me, and, and allow myself to go to hell. And I'd say tonight, don't push God any farther. If you're playing games with God, get down to this altar and get your heart saved. Because the day might come where the Holy Spirit just doesn't convict you anymore. You can call on the name of the Lord, but if He's not convicting you, the Bible says the Spirit draweth all men under repentance. That chance would be gone. And... Pharaoh crossed that line. Don't cross that line with God. Number three, we're going to hit quickly here. The the historical periods of miracles. Now, for those of you here tonight that are new uh, uh, babes of Christ, uh, maybe those that, I know some people listen to the messages online uh, that don't go to our church. If you're listening to the message online and you maybe struggle to understand, uh, I wouldn't even call it Baptist doctrine, just biblical doctrine. Because... Good Baptist doctrine is Bible doctrine. Those that don't really understand the whole concept of miracles, uh, miracles were only used in uh, certain eras in the Bible because God was trying to get a larger point across. Miracles performed by men does not happen anymore. Now, miracles still happen today, but there are miracles that are performed directly by God. Where God reaches down in some invisible way and he'll take cancer from someone. Or he'll give someone strength back in their legs. I've heard of instances where you have some guy sitting in a service who doesn't speak English. He's there with a friend and the pastor starts preaching the gospel. And the guy understands the sermon just long enough as the gospel is being given and he gets saved. Those are miracles done by God, But mankind performing miracles the way Moses did, though that was specific to what God was trying to accomplish in the Bible. Uh, do you have an A, B, C, and D in your outline there in front of you? Let me give you those quickly here. Letter A is the exodus of the Israelites. The exodus of the Israelites. Moses performing these miracles, really, I believe, if I'm wrong, someone can correct me after church, I believe this is the first time in the Bible that a human being performs miracles. God was using and Can you imagine what's being seen there? Dust being thrown in the air and it being turned into boils? People, What's going on here? But God was using these miracles performed by His men in order to get His people out of, of Israel letter b the reestablishment of god's authority over his people once you get beyond the striking of the rocks and all of those things really once you get beyond uh, where the, the uh, they go through the 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 uh, the river there, uh, the Jordan River, you don't really find any more miracles that I'm aware of, until uh, performed by a man, that is, until you get to uh, the time where Israel had totally rebelled and run from God, and God sends in His prophets. And uh, I wrote two names down here. They may not have been the first ones to perform miracles, but Elijah and Elisha, they performed a whole lot of miracles. What, what was the purpose of those miracles being performed? Well, it was to reestablish, the reestablishment of God's authority over his people, you might remember Moses calling down fire there on Mount Carmel, and uh, the, the the water being licked up, and then uh, Elijah praying the the rain back, and all those things, uh, and all of the miracles that Elijah performed. It was God showing Himself real. The third uh, era in the Bible that I have here, where God performs miracles, is the exile of the Israelites. You might remember Babylon where they came in and they carried away uh, the children of Israel there uh, out of the nation of Judah. And what happened there is you had some miracles that were performed. You had the three Hebrew boys that were thrown in the fiery furnace and they weren't burned up. What was God doing? He was establishing that you better not hurt these people you have daniel in the lions den you have daniel in the hand that came out of the nowhere and wrote on the wall there to artaxerxes i believe it was and daniel said meaning meaning you, upharsin and told him what it meant and out they out, uh, and god used that time uh with the exiled Israelites to, to as a way of showing himself uh real through uh, his prophets letter d would be the early days of the church now jesus would walk around and he would heal people he would give his disciples uh, the ability to go out and cast out demons and heal people. There's uh, uh, where Peter would walk by and the, his shadow would be cast on people and they would be healed. Uh, uh, we know that uh, there were many, many miracles that were performed. What was the purpose of those miracles? Well, it was for, so that that early church could really be established and grow. The larger point here is this. If you see somebody on TV... Smiting someone in the head and saying, be healed. They are not performing miracles. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians uh, that uh, when that which was perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away. Miracles is one of those things that's just been done away with. Totally been done away with because we have the full canon of Scripture. And so God performs miracles, but we don't. Number four, and I think everyone will enjoy this, notice the Passover. Go, go with me to Exodus chapter 12 uh, today, uh, uh, this evening. Now, uh, I've been really excited about getting to this part here because I did a lot of study and work and research, even uh, the last few days for this section here tonight. And, and I could we, we could be here for a long, long time. we got uh, Master Club's letting out in about uh, 11 minutes, so we got to move quick. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, the Bible says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month... They shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according "...to the number that souls, every man according to his eating shall make you count the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out uh, from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two sides, uh, the two posts on the upper door posts of the houses." wherein they shall eat it, and they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. And uh, let's see, look down at verse 11 of the same chapter. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste, in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and again, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the house where ye are. And uh, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. When I smite the land of Egypt, and this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a, a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now, fascinating enough, the Jews that are still around today, they still keep this feast. The Passover is still observed by them. Uh, some of you may have been here a couple of years back when Pastor Dave took the time to go over what uh, goes on uh, during a Passover celebration. I think he shared that in church. And so uh, knowing that he is a, a Jewish man and that he had that background, I brought him in my office this week and I had a long, long, long conversation about what happens at a Passover feast, doing my absolute best to try to wrap my mind around and understand. Let me just, and these aren't on your outline, but I would recommend writing them down if you have space somewhere. Let me just give you a couple of observations here about the Passover. Uh, first, notice unleavened bread. This was to be a picture of the Messiah. You say, how is it a picture of the Messiah? Now, you may notice if you've ever taken the Lord's Supper here, we don't use those little white squares that most churches use. I'm not opposed to the little white squares. They're unleavened bread, and that's what we're commanded to do. But we use something that is more stereotypical of what Jesus would have eaten at that Passover, that, uh, the, the Lord's Supper. It's called matzah bread. okay? And that matzah bread, if you look at it very carefully, it represents or stereotypical of Christ in a lot of ways. The first thing I have written down about unleavened bread The bread contains no leaven. The bread contains no leaven. The second thing I have noted is that the bread was bruised by heat. Now, leaven obviously is a picture of sin, so there's no leaven in it. In fact, days leading up to, uh, the Passover celebration in a Jewish home, they'll throw all the food out in the house as leaven in it. They'll even play a little game where they'll hide leaven in the house and they'll send dad on a hunt to find it and he'll take a feather and sweep it up in a napkin and then they go outside and they burn the napkin because they're getting rid of the leaven for the Passover. We're to do the same thing with ourselves, but the bread was also bruised by heat, just as our Savior was bruised on the cross, the bread contains holes from being punctured. Just like Jesus was punctured and pierced on the cross. The second thing I would uh, point, well, I've got to get this in here as well, because this is just really good. Uh, at a celebration uh, of the Passover, it is typical of, they call that a sadar or, or Sadar, I believe that's how that's pronounced. But they'll take it as Sadar and they'll put three pieces of matzah or unleavened bread in a napkin, and they'll wrap it up. And at one point during the ceremony, and again, the three pieces of bread would represent the Trinity uh, as they're sinless, but at one point, they take the middle piece, God the Father, God the Son in the middle, and they break it in half, they wrap it up in a napkin, and they hide it in the house. Just like Jesus, the bread of life was broken for us. And it's hidden until the conclusion of the meal, where they go search it as Jesus was put in the grave. The funny thing is, talking to Pastor David this morning about all this, he told me, he said, Pastor, when I got saved, the Holy Spirit started to show me all these things that were a picture of Christ. I had never even read the New Testament. He said, it began to become very obvious to me that this was a picture of Christ. I said, what do the people that are Jews, that are non-Christians, what do they say that means? He said, they really don't know what it means. Fascinating. The second thing I'd point out would be the hastened meal. We saw there uh, in uh, chapter 12, we talked about them having their shoes on and being ready to go. Why? Because they were to be ready to obey when commanded to go. At any moment, they could be told to get up and leave, and they had to be ready to go. And so even now, uh, when the Jews celebrate this Passover, they're ready to go. They have their shoes on, and they're ready to go. The third thing I'd point out is the hyssop branch. They were to take hyssop Hissip and dip it down in the blood and put it on the doorposts, on both the doorposts that run, let's see, um, uh, uh, what is that? Uh, I always get my horizontal and vertical mixed up. When it's this way, it's vertical. So the two vertical posts and then the one on the horizontal. And so you, you don't have one of those educated preachers. Amen. i got to learn that stuff still. Uh, but they would take Hyssop branch and dip it down in the blood and they'd put it on the doorposts. And that Hyssop branch represented purity. The Bible says in Psalm fifty-one seven, it says, uh, uh, "Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean; wash me, and I shall be whiter with snow." Look down with me at Exodus chapter twelve, verse twenty-two. It says there, "And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop, so a, a, a gathering of hyssop." And dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike, strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out out the door of his house until morning. Now they took hyssop, dipped it in the blood, and struck the doorposts. Let me read for you John chapter nineteen and verse twenty nine. It says, "Now there, speaking of the crucifixion of Christ, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop." Upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Just as the hyssop struck the blood up on those doorposts, the hyssop was raised to lift that vinegar to the mouth of our Savior. The next thing I'd point out quickly about the Passover is that they were to eat bitter herbs. Bitter herbs. Exodus chapter 12, verse 8 says, And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roasted with fire, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. The bitter herbs eaten at each Passover meal was to remind them of the bitter tears they cried as they were slaves. One of the things I'd point out quickly about bitter herbs is that the fact that we're saved in Christ, that is sweet, isn't it? But there's a little bit of bitterness in our soul knowing how much Jesus had to suffer for us. Those bitter herbs. Lastly, I'd like to point out the spotless lamb. Spotless lamb, also symbolic of Christ. Look down at Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. It should be a lamb without blemish. John chapter 1 verse 29 says this. The next day John sees Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. At a current day Passover, they no longer eat lamb. They did here, they no longer do. I asked Pastor David, I said, why is that? He said, well, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So there's nowhere to do the sacrifices. So now we no longer eat lamb. He said this, he said, however, the real reason why we don't eat lamb is because the lamb of God has been the ultimate sacrifice. And so God sat down and had the temple destroyed. Because now there's no longer really any need for it. Because there's no need for animal sacrifices. Can we finish tonight by turning over to Revelation chapter 5? This is just one of those passages. I know we're doing Exodus. But this is one of those passages that corresponds with what we're talking about. That Passover feast was that. That was the feast that was being taking place at the Last Supper there with Jesus and his disciples. That was a seder that they were having. Look with me at Revelation chapter 5, speaking of Jesus being the Lamb of God. Let's read verses 1 through 6. Uh, you read silently, I'll read aloud. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, sat the lion, yes, but also sat stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So here you have Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. He is that Passover Lamb that has been that ultimate sacrifice for us this evening. Just to quickly say this in closing is that if there's one thing I want you to take away from it today is, do you need to have courage that God will use you to do something? Have you been cocky? Does God need to break you down? Uh, is God trying to break you down and you're being obstinate like Pharaoh? Don't do those things. Let's let the Lord work in our hearts tonight. Let's bow our heads tonight. Lord, I thank you for it.